Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. This is week seven of our study of what it means to live in the Spirit. Today, we are going to take a look at one of the most essential tools and weapons that we have as believers, and that would be prayer. More importantly, what it means to pray in the Spirit of God for the glory of God. My intent today is to define what prayer is, what God's expectations are for us in prayer, and help you map out a clear path to get you to where God wants you to be. Before we go deep into this topic, let's define what prayer is and what prayer is not. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is directly addressing God with your praise, your concerns, and your burdens, anytime, anywhere. Prayer is a unique privilege that has been given to us through the works of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the intercession of the Holy Spirit who indwells all those who have been born again by this same Spirit. Prayer is a relational experience that we have with God in order to fellowship with Him and better understand who He is. Prayer is intended to be a continuous two-way dialogue in which you and God participate in the conversation as both the speaker and the listener. In other words, God also speaks to you if you give Him the opportunity to, although it is not usually in a verbal manner. Prayer is the freedom to come to God verbally or non-verbally, casually or formally, in which you focus your thoughts and attention from your innermost self and petition before the very throne of God in heaven. Praise God for giving His children the freedom to approach Him without any barriers much like how a child can go to their earthly parent to talk to them freely, those who are of the Spirit enjoy the same benefits with their Heavenly Father. Amen. Now, let's talk about what prayer is not. Prayer is not what the world calls meditation or becoming one with the universe. Prayer is not giving commands demands, or vain requests to God. He is not a genie who grants wishes. Prayer is not ritualistic. And what I mean by that is that the content of your prayer should not be based off a scripted repetition or a sequence of words based off a particular tradition. Prayer is not something you do when you lack confidence in the very act of prayer, or out of anger toward God. Prayer is not to be taken lightly, nor is it to be underestimated. Many of those who we tend to call heroes of the Bible are only heroes because they had complete faith in God, and they took prayer seriously. And through prayer, God worked amazing miracles in their lives. This is prayer in a nutshell. 
And this is what we're going to get started with today. If you examine the scriptures and observe how the people of God prayed in the Bible, it really should not be that difficult to understand. Prayer is very simple. It seems like, though, that the modern understanding of how prayer works is making it more complicated or structured than it needs to be. It simply is supposed to be opening and maintaining a connection with God's throne within ourselves, sharing with God what's going on in our lives, or giving Him the anxieties of our minds, and most of all, enjoying His presence. There is a deep, significant intimacy it creates between us and our Lord, and it is a key component of how we interact with Him. Between meeting the Lord in His Word and through prayer, we learn and subsequently develop our relationship with our Father, and in this, God is very pleased with us. I hope the implications of this gives you chills. Do you understand how amazing of a privilege this is? God, the creator of our universe, the one who governs every galaxy, every solar system, all the way down to being sovereign over every atom in your body. This same God condescends from his glorious throne to listen to you. To you! who are a speck upon a speck upon a speck upon a speck in his vast creation. He stoops down and listens to you from on high. He who is so far beyond us chooses to meet us at our level and directly interacts with us. Please do not ever say that prayer is a waste of time or that it doesn't accomplish anything. On the contrary, living as a Christian without prayer is a waste of time, and you will not see miracles in your day without it. Even worse, you will not fully know your God without prayer. That's how important this is. So now that we have set the foundation here, Let's get into a deeper understanding of what it means to pray in the Spirit. Let's explore the who, what, where, when, why, and how of prayer, with plenty of scripture to support it. First off, who are we praying to? Prayer involves all three persons of the Godhead. The New Testament is very good about breaking this down when you put specific verses together, but essentially, you pray through faith in God the Father, in the name of God the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, only those who have the Holy Spirit active in their lives are able to pray at all. This means that, as Psalm chapter 10, verse 4 says, The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. When the Bible calls someone wicked, 
they are referring to someone that is not saved. The unsaved person does not pray because there is no power in the prayer and there is no desire at all to pray. However, those who have the indwelling spirit want to pray. This is important to understand because we should not approach the throne room of heaven with an attitude that either God works for you or that you regard him as an equal. We pray because we acknowledge our weakness before him. We acknowledge his power over us, his authority over everything, and his infinite wisdom that is able to accomplish and understand things that we cannot. This is why we pray to our God. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Likewise, we can look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we draw near to the throne of grace? Through prayer. Now, what do we pray for? Remember that God did not establish prayer solely as a complaint hotline. While we are supposed to bring our petitions and frustrations to him, there is much more that we should bring to the Lord. Bring him your pleas on behalf of others. Bring him your successes and admiration. Recognize his work in your lives and thank him for it. The same way that we would confide the victories and failures of life to a close friend or family member, God desires that kind of interaction with you all the time. But what about those times where we don't know what to pray? The good thing is, is that you can't mess up prayer if you are opening your heart before God. Again, it is not so structured to where if we don't have the right words to say, prayer has no effect. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 through 27 illustrate this very well. So let me read this to you. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep 
for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Scripture is telling us that we don't know how to pray correctly. But the beautiful thing is, is that the Spirit, in a sense, auto-corrects our prayers. The Lord knows, without you even saying it, what your problems are. He knows what you need. But He still wants us to ask Him. He still wants us to address Him and feel comfortable enough to explain to Him what's going on with us. Because having that dependency on Him is what He desires from us. It takes humility. It takes the feeling of being humble in order to approach God. If we think that we can handle things on our own, or that prayer is useless to us, we would not want to pray. But if we have an attitude and proper understanding of our dynamic between God and us, then we understand that we absolutely must pray because we have no control over our own lives. Now, where or when do we pray? Anywhere at any time. Prayer is not exclusive to our worship of him at church, because God is not tied to a specific geography or location. His Spirit permeates and fills all of creation at the same time. So there is nowhere you could be where God would not be present in your prayer. He wants you to involve him in every moment of your day. The two scriptures that best illustrate this are Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, and John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Let's take a look at Jeremiah first. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now, for the sake of this discussion we're having today, we need to understand the context of what's going on in this scripture. This is not directly addressed to us in modern-day Christianity. This letter was sent to the people of Israel when they were in exile when Babylon came and took them out of Jerusalem. So this letter does not completely apply to us. 
And so this section of Scripture is often taken out of context. However, there are aspects of this that directly apply to us. For example, in verse 11, we know that God has plans for us. He has established our ways since before we were even born. He plans welfare for us. As we read in Romans chapter 8 as well, that he does all things for our good. He does not want to destroy us. He does not take any pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. But he wants us to have a future and a hope. And he's given us that hope through Jesus Christ. And he's given us that future with the indwelt Holy Spirit being the guarantee of our future, spending eternity with our Father. But when we see these realities in us, verse 12 becomes very prevalent to us. Understanding God properly will bring us to the point where we will call upon him. And when this scripture is talking about calling upon God, this is basically repentance, bringing us to the point where we change directions and we obey God instead of being drowned in the worldly lusts. Then it says that we will come. So it starts with an internal calling of repentance, and then we come. There is an outward action that demonstrates this repentance. And then it says that we will pray. You will realize how much you need God, and you will come back to prayer. And it says that he will listen to us. And most importantly, all of us needs to come with it. It says that you will seek him and find him when you search for him with all your heart. If you don't give him your whole heart, then you may not have effect in your prayer. Now let's look at John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. This is when Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Why do we pray? Let me give you five reasons. First and foremost, it is a command to pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, To devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Likewise, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing which means that we have a continuous dialogue where we keep the line of communication open with God throughout our day. 
Second, we want to grow in the knowledge and love of our Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm chapter 25, verses 4 and 5 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Third, God teaches us spiritual discipline through prayer in order to protect us from temptation and the fiery arrows of Satan. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41 says, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, the section of scripture that talks about the armor of God is very relevant here as well. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Fourth, God wants you to ask him for things, even though he knows what you need. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
Lastly, it is important that we express gratitude and praise to God for all that he has already done for you in his word, which is a wellspring of grace and truth, but also what he is actively doing in your life and the lives of those in your church. Psalm chapter 54, verses 6 through 7 says, Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They, being the church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what it should look like for us as believers and as a body of believers at church. Now, how do we pray? The Bible describes in several places how prayer should be conducted by the believer for it to have an effect. There are certain conditions and attitudes within ourselves in order for the Lord to hear you. Now, when I say the Lord hears you, am I saying that God does not hear when you don't pray correctly? No, and, and that's not possible either. To believe that this is true would deny the all-wisdom, the omniscience of God. Rather, what the Bible teaches is the difference between passive hearing and active hearing. God always hears, but he does not acknowledge or entertain vain prayer. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 30 through 33, says, The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, one of the most important heart attitudes to have in prayer is faith. 
confidence in God's ability to accomplish what you are asking for. But what happens if you pray with doubting? To doubt that God can or will do something will likely cause your prayers to go unanswered. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 through 8, says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Do you remember what caused Jesus to teach his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer? They asked. They desired to know how to pray. And so Jesus showed them how to pray. To be clear, though, Jesus is not saying that we have to recite the Lord's Prayer in order to interact with God. It is more of a template, if you will, that outlines specific aspects of prayer that need to exist within us. Dissecting the Lord's Prayer itself may take several episodes to do, but at the very least, for the time being, Let's read the account where we see the Lord's Prayer and Jesus' explanation of our intents behind prayer. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 through 13, says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, let's look at one final dimension of prayer. Does God respond? And if he does, how does he respond? We explored the words of Jesus a few minutes ago that said that Jesus hears your prayers. And if you pray according to the will of God, he will answer them. The answer, though, is not always yes. There is a deeper dimension within our spirit where the Holy Spirit interacts with us. 
Turn with me to James chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So there's one reason why your prayers aren't being answered. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In light of what we just read, the common answers that you will hear from God from your prayers will be yes, no, or wait. It's not time yet. Can God answer you in an audible voice? Sure. It happened to me six years ago, but it is very uncommon for God to do it this way. However he chooses to reveal it to you, though, he will answer you if your intentions are pure and in full submission to his will. But understand this, that prayer is intended to be a method that God uses to calibrate us. In other words, the more that we pray, the more that our will begins to align with his, so that we do not default in asking with selfish motives, but rather that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I have to ask you a question in light of what we've talked about so far. How is your prayer life today? The reality is that a solid prayer life is a sign of spiritual maturity. If we lack an understanding of who God is, or don't see any importance or power in prayer, it greatly dishonors God, and we put up a wall between us and Him. By the way, I'm no different or better than any of you listening. Prayer has always tended to be one of my weakest points in my walk with God. And there are many reasons or excuses that I'll give for not being able to pray. For example, I may not feel like praying. But in reality, those are absolutely the times where we must pray. I have told myself in the past that I can't pray in the morning because I'll close my eyes and fall asleep. But you see, the demonic forces of this world know that Christians have great power in prayer. So they will help convince you that we have all of these reasons why we can't pray. But they are all lies. If you desire to know God better, and if you desire to be obedient to his commands when it comes to prayer, we cannot be a people who make excuses. Prayer is necessary and essential in the lives of a true believer. 
I challenge you to see prayer differently or to renew your efforts in maintaining a constant, revitalized prayer life. Let me leave you with this. You have the greatest power in all creation fighting for you every day. We have learned that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groaning too deep for words. We have learned that he keeps the line of communication open between us and our Father. But don't forget that none of this would be possible without the Lord Jesus interceding as well. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 and 26 says, Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Give glory to God today for his bearing you and keeping you throughout every moment of your life. You were set apart by God for his good pleasure, and he poured blessing after blessing over you without measure. The very least that we can do as the people of God is understand what he has done and to give him all the glory that he rightly deserves. Meet him today and every day moving forward with an attitude of submission to him in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. I greatly enjoyed it. It took me a couple of weeks to prepare this material, but it was so worth it. And I hope that you get something out of this as well. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.